Hi, this is Ben Lola, Back to the Bible Canada. Now here's a funny question, why Christmas? Well, over the next week, we begin a new series focusing on several important questions related to the why of Christmas. So today, Dr. Neufeld helps us understand the question, why Bethlehem? As we look at Micah, chapter 5, verse 2. Those of us who have children will remember how often they ask the question, why? Because the world is new and everything they encounter needs an explanation of some sort, the question of why is basic as they learn to interpret what it is they experience. Of course, not all questions beginning with why are easily answered. When they ask why the grass is green and the sky is blue, well, you probably know the explanation of those things is beyond what a two-year-old can grasp. And so whether it's because you just can't explain it to them, or because you're sometimes just tired of the question, parents sometimes answer, well, just because. You know, at some point in time, as we grow older, the why questions diminish and the just because it is that way answers seem to multiply. Curiosity and the joy of discovery get replaced by a matter-of-fact acceptance of what exists without digging into the greater insight of what we experience. Christmas, I fear, has become for many a just-because-that's-the-way-it-is feel about it. And I've met people who love it that way and others who really don't. But what we all do Christmas, we need to buy people presents just because that's the way it is. And we need to decorate our homes inside and light them outside, well, because it's Christmas. And we need to just rediscover that Christmas feeling, even though it's hard to describe exactly what it is, but it does seem so important to many of us. And people who don't have family or friends with whom they have a hearty meal are missing out just because they're missing what Christmas is supposed to be about. After all, that's the way it is. And if you don't want that, well, you're probably just a Scrooge that needs to get visited by some very scary Christmas spirits. Oh, no, I, I'm not about to pour contempt on the way Christmas traditions have arisen over the years. But I must confess, I'm not at all sure where they all come from, but I am happy to participate. And when it comes to the thing itself, Christmas is the time Christians set aside to remember the birth of Christ. Even here, the why questions are not always supplied. For instance, why is it so important that we emphasize Jesus was born in Bethlehem? I mean, what if he were born in Nazareth or Jerusalem or Hebron or Beersheba or for that matter, why is the place important at all? Couldn't he still be the Messiah, the Savior and the hope of the whole world without Bethlehem? Perhaps Bethlehem is like putting lights on her house, nice, but not necessary. And why do we make so much about the shepherds, since we don't know any of their names anyway, and they really don't form a central place in the Bible anyway? And what about the Magi or the wise men? I get that they came from far away and they brought gifts, but what if they only showed up from nearby, or for that matter, not at all? Why so much emphasis on a barn and a manger? So here's my invitation this week. Let's allow that childhood curiosity to just ask why about almost everything and to allow our souls again to be overwhelmed by Christmas and rediscover the wonder of this time of year. Let's also allow the answers to the why questions in an adult way, actually allowing for a detailed insight into the story we have heard so many times before. So during this week, I want to ask and answer five big why questions regarding the birth of Jesus. They will include why Bethlehem, why shepherds, why wise men from afar, why is the barn so important, and last of all, why a virgin birth and why our salvation? How is this related? 
So for today, here's the first of those penetrating why questions. Why is Bethlehem so important, and why does Luke make such a big deal of the fact that a decree had gone out from Caesar Augustus with the result that Mary and Joseph ended up going from Nazareth to Bethlehem? And what practical difference does that make in our lives to have Jesus born in Bethlehem? Does it matter at all? Now, before we dive right into that question, let's ask ourselves what we actually know about Bethlehem. First of all, the name Bethlehem means house of bread. It was located in a region that originally had grain farming, and so the crops from the fields around that region provided the most basic of all food staples of that region. It was located about 10 kilometers to the southwest of Jerusalem, so really close to it, and it's on a hilltop. And originally that was very good because it allowed you to have a bit of a wind, allowing for you to easily winnow your grain. If you visit Bethlehem today, as millions of people have done, the city is actually under the Palestinian Authority, or what it is now called the West Bank. So if you visit Bethlehem, you you can't go there with a Jewish guide. Instead, a Jewish guide will take you to the border of Bethlehem, and he will be replaced by a Palestinian guide. That's all part of the tensions that are there in that place to this day. But it's still a fairly safe place to visit. Let's start with the history of Bethlehem. The earliest mention of that place in our Bible comes from Genesis 35, when we are told that Rachel, the mother of Joseph, dies during the birth of her second child, Benjamin. The Bible says, so Rachel died and she was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. You know, to this day, the traditional site of the burial is marked and forms a pilgrimage for many people. They not only go to Bethlehem to visit the birthplace of Jesus, but many also want to visit Rachel's tomb. The next time Bethlehem is mentioned happens during the period of the Judges. Several incidences happen there, but for our purposes, the real drama of Bethlehem happens in the story of Ruth. In the book of Ruth, Naomi is from Bethlehem, and Ruth, a Moabite woman and a widow, follows her mother-in-law from Moab to Bethlehem, where she meets Boaz. The two are married, and from that union, their great-grandson will eventually be born, who is David who will become the greatest king in the history of Israel. Bethlehem was the place where the prophet Samuel found the very young David and there anointed him in secret as the next coming king of Israel. And so even though the city of David eventually becomes Jerusalem, Bethlehem continues to have the distinction of being the place where David was born, and so it is also called the city of David. But for our purposes, let's now fast forward this story 1,000 years later to the time of the birth of Jesus. According to Matthew 2, a group of stargazers, magi, or magicians arrived in Jerusalem because they had seen a very significant star arising in the heavens. Having encountered Jews and perhaps having heard the prophecy of Numbers 24, verse 17, which said that a star would come out of Jacob, they traveled to Jerusalem and found a group of theologians and asked, where will the king of the Jews be born? And the theologians in Jerusalem didn't even hesitate. They responded by saying, oh, that's about the easiest question anyone's ever asked us. He has to be born in Bethlehem. Everybody knows that. But why did they know that? Well, they knew it because about 280 years after David, or about 720 years before the wise men showed up, a prophet by the name of Micah would forever put Bethlehem on the map. What he said would transform that sleepy little village to a place in the earth that had the greatest hope 
that mankind had. And there is where the most important part of the story of Bethlehem actually begins. So let's have a look at what Micah actually said and why he said it. Then let's ask and answer the question, why Bethlehem? Why is that place so very important? And finally, let's find out what the story of Bethlehem has to offer to us in our celebration of Christmas. So let me introduce the prophet Micah. Sadly enough, so few of us actually know much about that small seven-chapter book in our Bible that many of us, I fear, have not even read. But it's so important to read. You know, Micah lived in Judah. In his day, Israel was no longer one nation, but it in fact had become two nations. You'll have to read the history of that when you read First and Second Kings. But think of it this way, North and South Korea. The north was called Israel, and the south, where Micah lived, and where the great city of Jerusalem was, and where the son of David was king, well, that place was called Judah. Well, Micah was a prophet for a long period of time. In fact, he ministered during the reigns of three kings, Jotham, Ahaz, and the very famous and righteous king Hezekiah. Micah himself came from the town called Moresheth Gath and lived during a time of one of the greatest prophets of all times, a prophet who predicted the coming of the Messiah, who predicted his birth, his suffering, and his death, and even his resurrection. And that prophet was Isaiah. And Isaiah was considered by many as the greatest prophet that Israel had ever seen. And he, like Micah, had a great deal to say about the coming of Jesus. But Micah speaks at the very same time, and Micah also has something very important to add. And when we come back, we're going to see what his important message was. You know, the entire question of why Bethlehem is an interesting one to think about. Perhaps many of us haven't stopped to think about the significance of this place and its role in the meaning and the celebration of Christmas. Well, we're starting to get a sense of why Bethlehem is important from our text in Micah. So let's continue to dig deeper after the break. Thanks for joining us today. You know, last month we announced the launch of a brand new exclusive product from Back to the Bible Canada, written by our very own Bible teacher, Quiet Spaces, 30 Reflections on Living Biblically, is a wonderful resource to draw you closer to God. Dr. Neufeld helps us get a rich understanding of what it means to center our lives around Christ and His Word. It's perfect to use in your personal quiet times or as a devotional at any time of year. We believe these practical and theological insights will be of great benefit to your walk. This is a great product, and you won't want to miss the opportunity, as it's available as our gift to you today. For your free copy, email us at info at backtothebible.ca or call us at 1-800-663-2425. Now let's go back to the Bible with Dr. John Newfeld. We might think that Micah was overshadowed by the greatest prophet in the Old Testament, I mean Isaiah, and that is true. And unlike Isaiah, we don't know a lot about Micah. He doesn't tell us how he became a prophet or about the relationship that he had with the kings of Judah. But Micah did live in very interesting times. In his earlier years, both Israel and Judah were safe and appeared externally strong. 
Yet he saw an internal decay sapping their strength and threatening to destroy both nations. Micah saw a growing, vibrant, wealthy class of people who were becoming rich at the expense of the poorer classes. He was horrified by idolatry, which was a growing phenomenon. And Micah looked down the road and saw storm clouds on the horizon. He believed that it was only a matter of time until God poured out judgment on both Judah with its capital in Jerusalem and Israel with its capital in Samaria. And Micah lived to see a rising nation, a great evil superpower, Assyria, become an increasing threat, march their armies against nation after nation, and completely destroying them. How long would it be until the Assyrians actually came first to Israel and then to Judah? And what did these events mean? Where was God in all of this? And so Micah begins his book, his prophecy, by announcing impending judgment. He invites the nations, he, he invites the whole world to listen to what he has to say. He begins with the words, Hear you peoples, all of you. Pay attention, O earth, and all that is in it. Now that's quite a way to begin a book. Micah knows that what he has to say is about so much more than what's happening on a local level. His message has ramifications for every human being who has ever lived on the earth. And so Micah begins at the local level. He begins by speaking to Israel. In chapter 1, verses 6 to 7, he says, Therefore I, that is the Lord, will make Samaria, Samaria, remember, was the, the capital of Israel, I will make Samaria a heap in the open country, a place for planting vineyards, and I will pour down her stones into the valley and uncover her foundations. All her carved images shall be beaten to pieces, all her wages shall be burned with fire, and all her idols I will lay waste. See, God is using Israel to make a point. He will never allow sin to go unpunished. There are only two outcomes for sin. One is repentance. The other, total destruction. See, as one reads the first three chapters of this book, one is struck by the kind of language that Micah uses. The mountains, he says, and the valleys split open and melt like wax before God. Disaster from God will come to the very gates of Jerusalem, he says. Woe to those who devise wickedness, he says, and to those who tell him that he shouldn't preach such a harsh message that truly frightens people. After all, disgrace will not overtake us. He responds by saying that his words will do good to those who are willing to walk uprightly, but not to those who carry on in unrighteousness. Looking back at Micah from the perspective of history, we can see how right he was. The Assyrians wiped out Samaria, and the Babylonians, well, they wiped out Jerusalem. Perhaps we should look at his message and say, once a people start down the road of injustice, once they forget their God, the final outcome is always judgment. And that's his message to the whole earth. But Micah looked a lot further down the road than we can imagine. He took out his prophetic telescope and looked right beyond our own day to a time still in the future. He saw a day when the mount on which the temple was built would rise to become the most important site in the earth. From there, the Messiah would one day reign, and people would beat their swords into plowshares and never know of war again. The final outcome of this planet would not be eternal devastation, but that the Messiah would reign, and that the lame and the afflicted and the castoffs would become the people of the Messiah. But who will be the Messiah? Who will be the one that will end all the world's evil and bring that long-hoped-for peace into the world? 
Where will he come from? And how will we know he's arrived? And to that, Micah gives the answer, and I'm reading from Micah chapter 5, verse 2. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth the one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Now, that's not hard to understand. Micah has been promising the destruction of the kingship in Israel, but then he predicts the coming of a new king, a king in the future whose foundations are from ancient times, whose roots go back from before the foundation of the earth. And this king, says Micah, will arrive on the scene in Bethlehem, the very place where King David was born. And just so we understand how important that is, in two verses later, in chapter 5, verse 4, he says, And he, that is the king to come, shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. So, why Bethlehem? Well, there are at least three answers to that question, and the first answer is that Bethlehem is where David was born. And since God promised David that the one coming after him would inherit his throne and from there rule over the world, that's important. The second answer is that Micah has said Bethlehem is one of the least of all the towns of Judah. The Messiah was not to be born in Jerusalem or in Rome or New York or in any of the great power centers of the world. Bethlehem the house of bread, the place where needs are provided for, the place where the lame and the cast-offs were given provision and hope. See, in a sense, Bethlehem assaults the pride of those who are great in their own eyes and humbles them before the greatness of the king. Third, the answer to the question of why Bethlehem relates directly to Micah's prophecy. Bethlehem was chosen by God as a sign. You'll know he's the Messiah because he's born in Bethlehem. And Luke, the historian who carefully investigates by interviewing countless eyewitnesses of the events of Jesus, wrote the following lines. He said, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole world would be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each in his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger. See, I hope you see how stupendous those words are. Long ago, an emperor of Rome ordered up a decree, forcing everyone to be registered for an empire-wide taxation scheme to help raise the revenues for Rome. But what he didn't know, that this idea was not his own. It was prompted by a 780-year-old prophecy from the mouth of a little-known man, a man by the name of Micah. And that's what makes Bethlehem so amazing. Bethlehem reminds us that there is a promise that the earth's wars will one day cease. And Bethlehem reminds us that unrighteousness will one day end. And Bethlehem reminds us that when God is set to fulfill his ancient prophecies and promises, he moves the heart of pagan kings and governors who do exactly what he wants so that his promises will all come to pass. To say that Jesus was born in Bethlehem is to say that nothing but nothing can prevent God's promises and his word from being completed. 
So that's what we celebrate when we celebrate Bethlehem. Bethlehem reminds us that God will preserve, as Micah puts it, a remnant, a chosen band of people, and save them through his chosen king. Yes, Herod would rage against this and and try to put the Messiah to death by killing all the children of Bethlehem, but not Herod, not Caesar Augustus or Quirinius or all the forces of the world can prevent God from fulfilling his word so that when God speaks, it will certainly come to pass. And that's what Christmas is all about. When God chose to enact his salvation, All the world's leaders unwittingly fall into line. That's what Christmas is all about. And by the way, when we look past the first Christmas and look to the second coming of Christ, shouldn't we have the same hope? When the time is fully at hand, when the time is just right, all the leaders of the world, all the great and small will fall unwittingly into line and do precisely what God had promised would occur. That's what we mean when we say Bethlehem is so important. So Merry Christmas, everyone. Jesus, our Savior, was born in Bethlehem. Perhaps after this study, you've come to see the place called Bethlehem in a different light. Part of God's eternal plan to bring forth a Savior at just the right time in the right way. The birthplace of Jesus was no mere coincidence, but has been prophesied by Micah in a time of great judgment for the nation of Israel. Well, hopefully we've gained a deeper appreciation for a fact about Christmas that can easily be overlooked. There is great hope when we see every detail surrounding the Christmas story has been orchestrated by God, whose ultimate mission never fails. Join us again tomorrow as we continue this series with Dr. Newfeld talking about why the shepherds. Back to the Bible Canada, leading you forward in your walk with Jesus every day. As we're in the midst of the Christmas season, for many it's a time of great celebration, festivities, and gatherings with family and friends. We look for the perfect gift for our loved ones and stores everywhere are brimming with shoppers. And at this special time of year, people too remember to give to the causes that are at the forefront of their hearts and minds. I know many of you are faithful listeners and supporters of Back to the Bible Canada. And on behalf of Dr. Neufeld and the entire ministry of Back to the Bible Canada, Laugh Again and In Doubt, can we ask you to remember these ministries this Christmas season with a financial gift? We truly need your help to reach our year-end ministry goal of $390,000 that will provide for our current ministry needs and moving forward into 2016. Why Back to the Bible Canada? Why now? Because we've always made it our priority to teach the Bible in an uncompromising way and to share the gospel to those who need to hear God's redemptive story and to do so through every means possible. We believe our mission is grounded in the telling of the greatest story of all time, and our nation is in desperate time of need to hear the truth about God. Please take the opportunity to join us for this purpose, and there is no better time to act than now, as we strive to reach our goal by December 31st. Your gift can make this great undertaking possible, and you can donate online at backtothebible.ca 
or call us at 1-800-663-2425. That's 1-800-663-2425.